0: Welcome to Step Up Nigeria's podcast. Our podcast is an initiative built to create awareness of governance issues that highlight the cost of corruption and its impact on service delivery. It is also aimed at promoting values that help build a society with people of integrity and provide solutions to service delivery challenges faced by everyday Nigerians. I'm your host for this podcast. My name is Farami Adeola. And on today's podcast, we'll be discussing how improving infrastructure transparency can contribute to an effective response to the COVID-19 pandemic. We have very special guests with us today. Our first guest is Matthew Page, whom you may all know through some of the articles that he has written. Matthew is a senior governance expert, and he's an associate fellow with Chatham House. Uh, Thank you, Matthew, for joining us. Uh, We also have Gilbert Sendugwa, I hope I pronounced your name right, who is a senior regional manager at COST Initiative in Uganda. And we also have the Step Up Nigeria executive director, Onigo. Uh, So I would like to begin with a question to Matthew. Please, what are some of the emerging risks that you think hinder the efforts to ensure transparency in the financing of public infrastructure that we need to manage this outbreak?
1: Well, thank you very much, uh, Fran. I I greatly appreciate the opportunity to be on the podcast again. Um, as you know, I speak uh, really from the perspective of um, someone who studies Nigeria very closely, and um, and as as the crisis unfolds in Nigeria. You know, our attention is focused not just on the human lives impacted by the virus and um, the damage that it's uh, it's wreaking across Nigeria, but also the cost of the crisis. As we know, Nigeria is very, um, very uh, in a very vulnerable fiscal state. Um, Both the federal and many state governments are deeply in debt, and And of course, there has been a collapse in crude oil prices that has been the result of the global economic downturn caused by the coronavirus crisis across the world. So what does that mean for Nigeria and for financing public infrastructure and the transparency around those expenditures? Well, there there are a few things. You know, one is... As we know in Nigeria, when there's a crisis um, there tends to be a general attitude among the politicians and the and the officials and and even the general public that um, the the government must sort of do the necessary as Nigerians would say do the needful um and that uh, they should spare no expense to resolve the, the current challenge facing the nation. And that's certainly an attitude that uh, is prevalent in, in any country we look at around the world. Um, but what that has meant in the Nigerian context in past crises, for example, um, the insurgency in the Northeast, is that there's all of a sudden a, a loss of focus on how those funds are budgeted, how they're spent uh, and to whom they go. And that combined with a general uh, fiscal crisis that's going to affect revenues going to the government and require states to massively, both state and federal governments to massively cut their spending. That means that, um, that there may be a real evaporation of infrastructure projects in the near term. So I'll give you the example of a Kwaibom state, which this week announced uh, a sort of 40% cut in its 2020 budget. Um, And if you look at the breakdown of that cut, um, there was a slight cut to recurring expenditure, which, as we know, things like salaries and other um, sort of, uh, you know, obligations that can't be held off on. But there was a massive and deep and substantial cut to to capital expenditure in the state, which includes infrastructure projects. And that's just in the budget. That's not sort of even commenting on what actually will be expended in 2020. So those are some themes that I would ask everyone to keep in mind as they think about this crisis and think about sort of longer term capital expenditures and the transparency surrounding them is, number one, those expenditures are going to decrease precipitously Two, but on the flip side of that, those that are made, the transparency and stewardship of those funds is likely to also um, decrease quite significantly. So it's sort of a mixed picture, I guess. Less less spending, but less transparency surrounding that spending. Um, and so with that, I'll, I'll hand off back to you.
0: Thank you very much, Dr. Gilbert's Any contributions um, on this? Any current examples that you can possibly give us of um, the financing of public infrastructure that we need to manage this outbreak effectively?
2: Yes, thank you very much uh, for the question. Uh, I think when it comes to risks of corruption around uh, crises, we have uh, those that are general, you know, to crises, and then we have also risks that are specific to the health sector. Now on the general situation at that, uh, in relation to this uh, COVID-19 pandemic, we know that uh, in general the pandemic is not new, but uh, emergencies, I mean the, the scale of this pandemic is huge and therefore it is new. Nobody has experience in managing uh, a response of this magnitude, but in general, there has been experience in dealing with uh, previous magnitudes, but when you look at the scale and risk of transparency to COVID-19, it's another thing. The magnitude is so huge. Secondly, we also note that um, from previous experiences, like the Ebola crisis, the risk of corruption is very high. You remember in, uh, this, uh, during the Corona outbreak, I mean the ebora crisis, the Minister of Health in BRC, for example, took for himself, he diverted over $240,000 from the response fund, and uh, in 2019, he was arrested. The gentleman is called Ori Ilonga. Basically, he was taking the equivalent of money which donors were putting in, and then he takes uh, from government coffers uh, an equivalent. The second uh, issue is that uh, there's increased demand for goods and services. In, uh, including infrastructure, and there, and yet there is a relaxation of very for-money standards. So we have lots of emergency procurements that are taking place. Now, when it comes to Uganda, we have also a, an issue of uh, roads being washed away and therefore um, making it difficult for government to respond uh, uh, effectively, reaching different parts of the country. And then, as always, the risk of political uh, influence for various reasons. We have a case here where, uh, in Uganda, members of parliament secretly Shared 10 billion shillings from the COVID fund response fund, and two of the members of parliament went to court, you know, to raise the red flag, and the court ordered that that money should be refunded to, to government. Uh, so the point here is that, uh, uh, whereas there is pressure to spend, whereas there will be pressure to respond uh, quickly. There should be mechanisms to ensure that uh, transparency and accountability is ensured, even in uh, this response, given that the risk is very high. So, those are the opening statements that I wanted to make uh, in relation to, to this question.
0: Okay, uh, thank you very much, Gilbert. Oh, uh, you would like to make any final contributions on this point? Um, so thank you, Matthew, and
3: thanks, um, Gilbert, for your insightful um, comments around the risk. Um, so, I think. Gilbert and Matthew have actually said most of it all and I'll just for me the risk is um, basically around what Gilbert just mentioned particularly the current risk um, around multiple award of contracts going lots of um, I think we're going to lose track of lots of funding that has been you know donated either by we saw in the case of Nigeria lots of billionaires donating billions of naira towards COVID-19 response and particularly around the health infrastructure side of things and so with Multiple award of you know, um with lots of donations coming in and obviously I'm sure lots of contracts are being awarded which we're not even aware of to, you know, get some things around the health, but around the health sector going for them to be able to tackle this response. But um, the lack of transparency around this because of the emergency, like um, Gilbert mentioned, so the emergency procurement issues would make it very difficult to track and make it easy for funds to get lost or diverted so it's around that that's you know transparency around the management of the COVID-19 funds I see particularly for the for the infrastructure bit I see as a risk Um, and yeah I think I'll stop here for
0: now. Okay thank you. Um, So Gilbert to you again how will um, these efforts to improve infrastructure transparency contribute towards an effective response? to the COVID-19 pandemic?
2: Okay, thank you very much. Transparency is the foundation of accountability, and therefore you cannot have money for money where there is lack of transparency. So disclosure is an important thing. Now, uh, the work that we have done here in Uganda, we see that even without this crisis, transparency was very low, and there were very many issues around, uh, you know, um, um, public contracting, both for infrastructure, but also um, health uh, sector in general. For example, the data that we have looked at, which is practically disclosed on the government procurement path, uh, uh, portal, we found that uh, only seven percent of the expected contracting data has been disclosed. Seven percent, and that represents uh, less than one percent of the expected. Uh, value. That is about $10 billion of the $1.4 trillion which was spent in this sector that was disclosed. And we note that 6 out of 20 agencies which we have analyzed it have never published anything. So you can see that uh, the issue of, uh, of uh, lack of disclosure uh, is significant. That is uh, in health sector in general. So uh, the other issue is also The lack of trust, disclosure is addressed, is likely to impact trust from the business community, the private sector, so that they can bid. It's not cheap to prepare bids, especially for infrastructure investments. So, when uh, firms don't trust that they have an equal chance to win, they are less likely to uh, invest time and money to, to prepare bids. And uh, because of this a lack of trust, that's why you see as high as 84% of the bids uh, get less than the required number.
0: Thank you very much, Gilbert. Um, so, Matthew, I know you had uh, initially made a case for why uh, infrastructure transparency was um, ne- necessary and you know, also why you thought there were reasons to be concerned going forward because um, of all the budgetary changes that are currently happening. Uh, so are there any key lessons learned so far from the current pandemic that reinforces the importance of infrastructure transparency?
1: Uh, I think I think there are. I think we've already started to see the, the pattern that... Um, you know, that federal government expenditures are are having, you know, during this crisis. So the intervention uh, funds that the CBN announced last month, I think it was about $136 million worth of assistance to small to medium-sized enterprise. Um, So we know that that the Buhari government has focused primarily on um, some of the poverty alleviation programs uh, during its tenure. Um, It certainly has also tried to make the case that it's uh, driving infrastructure expenditure. Um, I think that the problem going forward with the fiscal fallout from the COVID crisis is that um, it it may find it, it it will find it very, very difficult to sustain both of those priorities. And as we know, infrastructure projects may remain active on paper but if contractors aren't being paid or mobilized to undertake the work then um you know then then that work may not be be happening um and you know the funds will be shifted towards towards other priorities so so when we talk about infrastructure funding transparency during the time of covid what we're really talking about is you know transparency surrounding the the funds that have been pulled away from infrastructure funding right and spent on other priorities and the question is are those funds being used responsibly because otherwise they could have been you know continued to be devoted towards those those long-term socioeconomic needs power transportation, basic health and education infrastructure, which in the case of uh, basic health facilities, we know that COVID will have an out, whatever the effect of COVID on Nigeria eventually turns out to be, it will be outsized because of the um, decades of underinvestment in basic health infrastructure in Nigeria relative to its growing, um, population and the acute health needs that, that people who live in poverty, uh, may not have, you know, may engender because, um, because of the, you know, the challenges that they face in their, in their day-to-day lives. So, um, you know, I, I think that what we're, what we're clearly seeing is that transparency is lacking in the Nigerian context around these expenditures. Um, they and and even if there was transparency, transparency is necessary but not sufficient to ensure adequate anti-corruption safeguards. And we're just talking adequate, basic, you know, um meeting bare bone standards uh to ensure that monies or at least you know a reasonable percentage of monies are actually reaching their intended goal. So what worries me about this uh CBN interventions, and remember CBN interventions happen in sorry, Central Bank of Nigeria interventions happen in the infrastructure sector as well as in um the Small to medium sized enterprise sector, or just generally in the event of emergencies like this, is that the CBN has an extraordinarily poor record in, to, in terms of both um, transparency and effectiveness with these programs um, and so i 'll give you an example a quick example of a program where we actually know what happens when it came to the the, the particular intervention the money went missing. we know how it went missing, but there have been no consequences as a result. And I think what this story sort of will tell or sh- will show is that um, you know, even post covid, if we if we know or can point to instances where money disappeared and we have a pretty good idea where that money disappeared, two, and what the consequences, for example, in terms of infrastructure development, what consequences and real-world impact those um, diversions had, we still nevertheless may not be able to, to do anything about it or gain political traction on that issue. So the example is in 2013, the CBN um, created a 220 billion naira, so 1.35 billion. Billion dollar intervention program uh, for small, medium-sized enterprises. It was called the Micro, Small, Medium Enterprises Development Fund, and the idea was to make inexpensive credit available to MSMEs all across Nigeria. However, very quickly the CBN decided that it was given, it was going to give this money out via state governments and specifically via state governors. So within two years, the, the bank handed out, with with really very, very few strings attached, 36 billion Naira to 24 state governors. Many of them received that money in the run-up to or right on the eve of the 2015 elections. Um, and for, well, now five years later, none of these states have provided a list of the businesses that received loans under this program and instead um there's significant evidence to suggest that governors basically embezzled these funds and used them to to fund their re-election campaign um and with the exception of one governor um these diversions have have basically gone uninvestigated so the reason why I sort of tell that cautionary tale, which by the way comes out of um, my report on corruption within ni- um, gr- government programs meant to help small businesses in Nigeria from the Carnegie Endowment published last year, um, is to show that transparency or knowledge after the fact of how money is diverted. Um, doesn't necessarily lead to remedial outcomes or, um, or effective outcomes. So, so really, again, this comes down to that age old issue that we, we talk about when it comes to anti corruption issues in Nigeria, which is political will, commitment of leadership to, uh, hold institutions like the Central Bank of Nigeria or state governments accountable. And, when that is sort of lacking or abrogated by a crisis, an emergency like the coronavirus pandemic, um, then the outlook for, uh, you know, for, for transparency and accountability, sadly, uh, dims even further than it would normally. Um, so with that, let me pass the microphone back to you.
0: Thank you very much for that robust response. So, Oi, oh, would you like to chip something in?
3: Yes, yes, and um, I totally agree with Matthew. Transparency in itself is not sufficient um, for successful anti-corruption reforms. Still, you need, you know, a number of efforts. Um, but yeah, what I wanted to add, actually, for me, the one of the biggest lessons learned um, around infrast- infrastructure transparency in the time of COVID, it's how the cost of corruption in the infrastructure sector actually could has can or could make it more difficult to effectively respond to covid-19 and why do i say this is if you look at some of the key for example um, key sectors for example in the health sector or even for water I'll start. I'll start with the water aspect of things. So we are COVID 19. You know the messaging is wash your hands, wash your hands, regularly wash your hands. We know that there are so many, so many Nigerians who do not have access to clean water, particularly those in the rural areas. They really have. They have no access to water. And one of the reasons for this no access to water is the fact that it's not just we have issues. So there are two issues around provision of public services. Yes, there's the issue of underinvestment, but even when there's some sort of investment. These funds are diverted. We've seen in the audit reports how, in the health sector, the construction of health um, facilities, the 2017 audit report, and even the 2016, showed how billions of Naira in some states were diverted, that were supposed to be used to construct health facilities in a number of few, few of the states that were covered in that audit report. And I think an example was in Zamfara State. Uh, where was it about three hundred million or something? I can't remember three hundred million naira um, for the diversion of um, for for the construction of health facilities was diverted. And like Matthew said, one of the challenges is the fact that you know there is no so it happened so we are aware but there's no follow up. So what has happened? Nobody you know nobody has tracked even though the audit reporter said that. I don't see anyone you know I haven't heard of anyone chasing after what happened to the. You know, health. Um, the three hundred million naira that went, you know, and the contractor was paid, but there's nobody follows up on this thing. So, um, and this is affecting, you know, the an effective response in the sense that many people are worried, and rightly so, because particularly for those in the you know rural areas, on um, if when it gets to the villages, how are they going to cope? You know, how are they going to be treated if we don't really have, you know, sufficient health facilities to treat people you know, in a, in a in a time of crisis like this. The same thing with water, even the messaging around hygiene and water. If people don't have water, how are they going to keep themselves safe from, you know, getting the disease? And this is because over the years, we've had kickbacks in, you know, lots of construction around dams and boreholes that never get built and communities never get this water. And so these are some of the risks, the lessons learned, I think, with... Particularly with COVID nineteen, pandemics are not new, but I think COVID nineteen has been quite, um, you know, different in the sense that it hits quite a number of countries at the same time, and it really has, you know, given room for reflection around the need for countries to develop their infrastructure.
0: Thank you very much, Lee. Um So I think we can move on to the the positives now because we brought a lot of um, the issues that really need to be addressed. So um, I'll start with um, Gilbert again. Going forward, what can be done to ensure that countries improve transparency in infrastructure financing um, so that trying to manage this pandemic will become easier even now and in the future?
2: Okay, thank you very much. Um, I think just on this point that we have just finished, one of the key lessons that we learn is that um, uh, because Uh, Infrastructure investment has already been low. Now, because of this crisis, there is a crisis of uh, prioritization. How do you respond to the health crisis without infrastructure? And that is making the cost of uh, response very high. The second issue that we see is that appropriation of, uh, risk of, of uh, resources is not necessarily you know, going to areas that are critical. looking at things which are maybe have uh, either political reward or are uh, easy to get uh, money out of the system. So on, on what can be done, uh, first, I think uh, there is already uh large volumes of data which are uh, is being disclosed on uh, the budgeting side on the procurement side so that is one of the things that uh, we need to do to look at the data which has been disclosed analyze it and engage uh, as appropriate second we need to uh, promote institutionalized disclosure Uh, public participation to uh, inform decisions around resource allocation is also very very important and then finally i think they need issue of uh, social accountability the uh, various stakeholders uh, citizens journalists trade unions getting information they need and using this activity to engage uh, authorities um, on the Uh, development of appropriate infrastructure, but also use of appropriated resources. So those are the thoughts that I I would have on this uh, point.
0: Thank you, Gilbert. Um, Matthew, any um, final advice that you think we can um, take going forward to improve transparency?
1: Uh, Yes. When I'm thinking about this emergency, I'm, I'm thinking about the the Public Procurement Act of 2007 in Nigeria, and and sort of the the rules which procurement uh, contracting, especially infrastructure contracting in Nigeria, uh, those guidelines that they need to to meet. Um, so we talked about sort of emergency infrastructure procurement being a potential um, source of of diversion or. Or failures to complete contracts in a proper way during, you know, using the crisis as a justification, and you know, I I think that there's a real opportunity for civil society and Nigerian politicians to really um, look at the Public Procurement Act and um, figure out if the um, safeguards in place. Surrounding emergency procurement or direct procurement, um, which is often undertaken in the name of, you know, quote unquote, national security, which uh, is a phrase often invoked during a crisis and invoked very widely in the context of procurement in Nigeria to sort of obviate transparency, preclude, uh, you know, the uh, following of proper procedures. Um, you know, by different different government agencies. And I think there's a real opportunity to really to really ask quite hard questions about about those practices and those procedures, given um, the really exceptional and abnormal circumstances we have. There's also an opportunity for Nigerians, gov- you know, legislators, civil society groups, to focus on infrastructure projects that have been started and should have been completed by now, um, and, and need to be completed, um, so as to facilitate, you know, uh, you know, improve socioeconomic outcomes after the COVID crisis recedes. In other words, there is an added urgency with the fiscal crisis that I talked about at the very beginning, really bearing down on Nigeria there, there is no room now in, in sort of the government budget and expenditures for waste. And so Nigeria will have less to work with. And so the message that Nigeria, the Nigerian government, you know, um, and it's, and the Naira that it spends on such projects need to be spent more wisely, transparently, effectively, and to realize greater public benefit, I think that message will resonate a lot more than perhaps it it ever has before. Um, And so that would be the silver lining, if you will, to, to this crisis when it comes to infrastructure expenditure in nigeria
3: Um thanks matthew i will just quickly add to what matthew has said um around um the fact that i think i uh, the fact that we're going to go into a fiscal crisis um you know which is one of the going to be one of the emerging you know likely outputs from covid 19 as a result of the oil prices and all and just the economy generally um so i think that. You know, based on on that, which I agree, this, is, this calls for the need as well for us to really want to inf- emphasize what you said around um, emergency procurement. I think we need, you know, like a solid emergency procurement plan, um, which would be transparent. If there's none already in the Act, I'm not sure if it's in the Act, but if there's none in the Act, then we need to have one. And if there's one already there, then it needs to be known. We need to possibly like... Um, look at it and and, and 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 see to what extent, as well, it's it's, it's how transparent the process is and, and what can be improved upon in that process. Um, just to reiterate what Matthew had said earlier about that. And the second thing is around performance audits. And um, the, the need for us now more than ever is not to just allow, you know, um, um, have projects just go you know, unchecked. Un- un- and I think the Office of the Auditor General has started doing its audit. Work. Performance audits on key spending, particularly around the pandemic, would be very useful as well. To be able to identify where, you know, if at all, there was, you know, where, you know, corruption risk, where or where, you know, monies were lost or fraud happened. Um, I think to be helpful. And to also help strengthen systems as a result of that. And not just doing an audit, you know, and that just goes away without any follow-up. A performance audit, you know, possibly done in strong collaboration with anti-corruption agencies so that once the results are, so the Auditor, Office of the General does its audit, but then after its audit report is published, it should work, you know, with the anti-corruption agencies to see issues that have been highlighted in the report that needs follow-up by the anti-corruption agencies. I think it's very important because that's what makes the audit report also very powerful um, and also, I think that it will be useful as well for those performance audits as well, if possible, some of them possibly be done in collaboration with some civil society organisations that already monitor some of these um, abandoned or uncompleted projects. And I think I I'll stop now. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much, Ongi and Matthew and Gilbert. Um, we've come to the end of the podcast. That was my final question um, for you all today. Thank you very much for coming and for all the points that you've raised.
1: Thank you. Thank
0: you. Thank
3: you, Matthew. Thank you, Farami, for hosting.
1: Okay, take care. Bye-bye, everyone.
3: Thank you. Bye. (laughs)